Welcome to Code Reg, a podcast dedicated to regulatory remediation programs. This season is all about GDPR and TREMS 2, and today we're picking up where we left off from episode three. Today we'll be talking about two unique client examples and case studies. I do want to remind our listeners that the contents of this podcast are based on our experience handling large-scale remediation projects for our global client base and does not constitute legal advice. Factor is an integrated law company providing complex legal work at scale. We are not a law firm and do not provide legal advice. David, can I ask you to kick us off today? Thanks, Koki. Um, you and I and, and Carl spent a considerable amount of time uh, in the first three podcasts discussing GDPR and SHREMS and the requirements that must be met by the December 27, 2022 deadline to implement the, the EU Commission's standard contractual clauses. We also discussed the requirements that came out of the SHREMS 2 decision around transfer impact assessments and what that means for firms that are transferring data to third countries that don't provide adequate protection for, for data. We spent a, a pretty considerable amount of time also discussing the different approaches that, that companies may take. And Koki, I recall, and I think it was in our second podcast, uh, you had discussed in, in detail uh, some of those approaches around you know, taking a targeted approach versus a, a kind of a blanket outreach type of approach uh, in seeking to identify service providers that uh, may be processing personal data on behalf of, uh, of an you know, institution. We also spent some time uh, discussing project management, project resourcing, and, and prior to launching a contract remediation project, whether it's GDPR or SHREMS or some other regulatory-based uh, project uh, where you're going to uh, in, you know, engage in a large-scale review of, of documents, contracts, and the like. Uh, the need to have you know good stakeholder alignment internally. Budget, of course, is all important. Uh, the need for strong project management within the organization uh, and so forth. Uh, in the last podcast, we spent time discussing data management and data hygiene. And one of the points that we focused in on in that discussion was, you know, when you're launching a project of this, of, of a you know, contract remediation project that uh, involves going into thousands, hundreds of thousands in some cases of documents to pull data, you need to be forward thinking about the exercise and, and, and think about how you might leverage that, that exercise and the data that is being, um, being retrieved from your documents um, for, you know, considering future regulatory change or internal initiatives that might require you to go back into contracts to pull data for some sort of, you know, internal risk assessments and so forth. So we thought it would be helpful, um, and I think it would be helpful for me, too, to hear from you, uh, uh, Koki, and Carl Dorwat, my colleagues who are joining me here today again, and now our fourth podcast, to discuss some of the experiences that you've seen in working with, with Factors clients that have undertaken some of these large-scale contract remediation projects, in particular, of course, uh, in the area of GPR uh, slash SHREMS kind of remediations. So, Carl, I guess, question to you. Could you start us off by describing some of the issues that you've seen clients confront and provide some insight as to how clients address those issues or didn't? And, and where did that leave the client as a result? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, David. Happy to. And and just, just for the audience, you know, just not to date myself, but, you know, while the stories you are about to hear are true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. So, I, you know, I want to make sure the the audience understands that we're not uh, we're not going to divulge client names. Let, let's just say that you know these are all global companies within the the pharmaceutical healthcare sector. You know, one that I can think of had a very pointed approach. You know, we've talked about how knowing your vendor relationships, knowing your contract and your contract data will really set the frame for how you're able to to respond and you know for one of my clients you know they were able to be very pointed in in you know having a list of of suppliers that they 
basically said, look, we, we can't handle the outreach internally. We don't have enough bandwidth. Uh, we don't have a technology solution. So you know, can you help us? And in that case, you know, the answer is always yes. Uh, it just depends on the starting point. And we were able to you know, build a team pretty quickly, understanding foreign language requirements because you know, this company, uh, like most of our clients, is, is global. So able, able to get an understanding for the language requirements. And then you know, we were able to build a team that could start with you know, the questionnaire outreach to really enable all of the remediation activities that would flow from that. Interestingly, though, as well prepared as they were, you know, this client actually misjudged, I guess, the uh, the volume of of vendors that actually would require remediation, and then also through uh, interactions with the business, uh, learned of additional parties that would need to be added. So, you know, there's always there's always going to be some shift and flex when you're doing any type of outreach project. But you know, where this client came to us, they had their playbook already in place for to enable the negotiations. They had their form of questionnaire. They had the SECs already in a translated form, which is publicly available. So everybody should be able to have to avail themselves of that access. And it was really more of us following, you know, marching orders, which is certainly easy for us to do. And it's one ways that you can approach our other client, you know, did not have, you know, as, as clear visibility into into either the scope or amount of counterparties that may be require, again, coming out of their contract hygiene. But what they were savvy enough to do with with our guidance was do sort of a project before a project. And, and David, I know you were involved in, in helping us shape that. And in fact, you know, lending your your expertise to some of the analysis and, and, and frame some of the approach. But in that case, you know, we, we engaged in a, in a fairly lengthy and aligned consulting engagement that allowed us to get really, you know, good visibility into how the client was structured from a contract perspective. The hygiene of their of their data was it accurate? Was it misleading? If it was, what kind of gap did we need to fill? And you know that really set us up as a result to be very pointed in the next phase. So it was sort of an engagement before an engagement, which I would recommend to clients. It's that upfront investment is going to better prepare for all types of of outreach projects, not just SRAMs or you know regulatory related remediation project, but any type of project is really the pre-planning sometimes is as critical, if not more critical than the actual execution of the project, because it aligns the stakeholders internally. It ensures that you have all the right information in front of you. And it also allows everybody to align on the, the steps that come thereafter, both from a internal capacity perspective, but also from a budget perspective. So I'll pause there, see if you guys have any questions about you know, more in depth from that, although David, you were pretty intimately involved in that project. Yes, I was involved in, in one of those uh, client uh, projects that you referred to. And what I uh, took from that project is um, the importance of the kind of the pre-planning, call it consulting phase of the project, if you will, um, and really getting to know uh, the customer, understand their situation, uh, and then help them um, help themselves, quite frankly, to identify their priorities um, and we created a, a you know we created a process um, to help them guide themselves in identifying those pro- priorities in terms of which contracts to uh, to look to first based upon you know the risk uh, likelihood of risk um, to the organization based upon the, the data that's being processed and don't forget also the criticality to the business right you know for some of our viewers they're coming out of different industries you know as, as people are probably aware in the life sciences industry you have um, a very regulated process for how you can get a drug to market, uh, very 
regulated approval process, steps that you have to take through the clinical trial process. And, you know, so if you're looking at, in that space, if you're looking at remediation and you're performing trials on a global basis, you know, also depending on if you are or are not engaging with a CRO or some other type of entity that's, that's giving you lift to get those trials started, you know, that's a great place to look, right? That's a great place to start. There are, you know, there's already complexities within those jurisdictions just in how you have to run and conduct the trial from a contractual standpoint you know, it makes sense to align that activity with this activity so that you're not potentially reaching out to, you know, sites multiple times, you know, you're not slowing up the process because you have to reopen contracts. So that that upfront planning for this client and aligning with the efforts that we're already being taken internally uh, with our efforts will enable, you know, not only better regulatory compliance efforts, but also just good business practices. Uh, you, you know, you want to be able to do business with with sites, you want to be able to engage with sites, and it's already a complex, you know, microcosm that exists within these organizations. Fostering good, just business practices will enable and further those efforts. The next time you have to to kick off another trial and engage that site, you know, I'm I'm picking up on some themes here. Um, you know, one being around the pre-planning or the project before the project. Uh, the other just being around a, a healthy dose of pessimism uh, on some of the information that's accessible. Uh, and, and, and pulling that data together. I know for a couple of clients uh, that, that I had some some oversight of, uh, they started very early in the year and and they were actually um, you know some of the earliest to kick off these Shrems projects and, and certainly felt a lot of confidence and optimism uh, having time on their side. The challenge is without proper project management in place. Uh, it was more of just a let's let's throw some bodies uh, at the problem and, and let them work it out. Both of these these clients that I'm thinking of ran into consistent challenges with internally understanding uh, who even had ownership of some of these vendor relationships, who understood where the contracts were, where the details were around, uh, you know, processors and controllers, and 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 how to go about it. And and so several months were lost just in those early stages with a group of of smart people, uh, you know, ready to do the work, but frankly, really frustrated and, and sort of handcuffed, you know, unable to go and, and effectively progress the project's objectives, uh, whereas it was rather, it was just quite a bit of working and digging. Uh, you know, this led to turnover and, and some frustration on the teams. So I do think that that pre-project or project before the project piece is, is key, um, uh, along with project management and, and oversight throughout the process. Thanks for that, Koki. Um so, you know, I have, a, I have a question, you know, you know, we've helped many clients uh, with these contractor mediation projects. And in some cases, we've, we've had experiences with clients that they realize that they're, you know, the deadline is fast approaching and they don't have adequate resources for whatever reason. The project is perhaps has gone awry a bit uh, internally. Um, you know, what should a company do if it realizes that it's not going to be able to meet the, dead, the, the required deadline? You know, this isn't an exercise in throwing darts at the wall, right? There's mm-hmm. got to be there's got to be some really decent planning and analysis to figure out, you know, what's the best approach when you realize you can't do it all by the required mm-hmm. deadline. What should firms be thinking about? David, I would jump in there real quick on in terms of, you know, we had talked about fundraising in the past. You know, it really I would think depends on the, you know the current posture of the clients around, frankly, how serious are they taking non-compliance, and based off of that. If they think that they want to be as compliant as possible by end of year, given that we're we're in August, it's how much money can they free up to scale up a team that can tackle it? Because the efforts are very repeatable. 
it's the volume that then dictates how quickly those efforts can be accomplished. So if you want to pay for a team of, of 20 to do it over 12 weeks or 40 to do it over 12 weeks, you're going to get the same output. You're just going to compress the activity by, by raising the, you know, scaling the project team to, to address, you know, the most amount of contracts as possible for the deadline. Right. You know, that, you know, it, it, that sounds harsh uh, and a bit brutal, but, but that is, that is the reality. I mean, if you're starting this late, you know, you, you've probably already realized that you can't be too cost sensitive about it, but at the same time, you've got some companies just starting their fiscal year and some companies, you know, in the middle of their fiscal year. So that, right. you know, that's going to drive that decision-making. Yeah. Let's assume the budget's locked. It's locked down for the year. So, you know, what they've got is what they've got. And there's no more until, you know, next fiscal year, which may be Jan 1 or sometime later into 2023 in the case of GDPR. It's a December 27th deadline. Uh, Koki, I'll throw it to you. You know, what, what are some of the steps that firms can take to try and, again, reduce the risk as much as possible? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in that case, it's all about prioritization, um, you know, identifying those vendors and counterparties that have the highest volume of sensitive personal data, any situations where you can have confidence uh, that the location of the data being processed uh, falls under the, the SHREMS 2 guidelines, the size of those counterparty relationships, right? I mean, it, you know, any of uh, our clients or any large organization, you know, knows where their largest and, and most critical vendor or service provider relationships are. It really just comes down to, to prioritizing the top of the mountain or the top of the pile there to work down as, as much as you can before the end of the year, just so that you can demonstrate that you're making legitimate efforts towards that substantial compliance. Right. And in, in either case, you know, I think, you know, Carl's point about, you know, the budget's there and you can staff up and, and go after as many contracts as you can prior to the deadline. Or you know the reprioritization approach. That boy, that's a mouthful for me today. You know, I think in either case you need to have a properly documented plan. It has to be well thought out. It has to be well documented so that mm-hmm. you know if you uh, you know a firm is is faced with some sort of regulatory inquiry from a, a you know data privacy supervisory authority, you've got a good mm-hmm. story to tell. And I think we've we've mentioned that in the in the prior podcasts. Uh, it's a it's a common theme when you're facing any kind of regulatory remediation project is. Planning, 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 and doc- good documentation. Yep, I agree, and I think that's something that we we share with our all of our clients, even at the outset. If you're undergoing some type of remediation strategy, you know it's got to be defensible. You know your 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 approach has to be well thought out. You, you know you're do, you're doing the best with what you have available, and you're seeking help where you don't have you know internal resources. But you know I, I do think at the end of the day. It's it's the ability to tell that story that's gonna that's gonna help. Considering that, I'm I'm curious what each you and David and Carl think about uh, sort of the tail that we could be seeing here. You know, I, I know you know we only have exposure to our our own clients and their projects, but but more broadly, curious your thoughts on if this is something you expect to be lingering and dragging into 2023 or potentially beyond. Yeah, I've, I see it for many firms going on basically operating on a rolling basis to come into compliance because you know they have hmm. they have budgetary restraints they don't have the mm-hmm. re- internal resources whether it's bodies what have you or even quite frankly the the capacity the knowledge uh, in some cases to know what needs to get done uh, so i think yeah. i think we're going, going to be seeing firms you know well into 2023 continuing with the remediation efforts to update their standard contractual clauses and even potentially into 2024 and who knows by by 2024 we might be looking at additional right. you know amendments to GDPR or additional requirements that are being imposed and of course there's always regulations are always uh, you know in a state of flux uh, you know there are several laws that are being amended and or implemented in a number of states uh, 
commencing in January 2023 in the U.S., that are similar to GDPR, very similar requirements. And in fact, a couple of states are actually using some of the terminology that uh, that is found in the GDPR around controllers and processors and things like that. So, you know, I think there's, there's going to be there's going to be continued work in this area for years to come, not just GDPR, but su- successor regulations and laws mm-hmm. uh, implemented in the U.S. states as well as uh, as well as in other other countries. It feel, feels like with you know taking all that into account, David, maybe the next episodes around privacy program management and some best practices there. Absolutely. That's right, Carl. Uh, And we can definitely focus on that uh, and ongoing privacy program management uh, in our next episode. Uh, So I think that's it for today. Uh, Thank you for listening to this episode of Code Reg. You can find this podcast and more at our website at www.factor.law. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate if you take a moment to leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.